Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlo and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Time to dance. It's time to rejoice. It's time for a celebration out of the Big Easy. And we know the Crescent City loves to celebrate, knows how to celebrate better than most. The Pelicans won a game last night. Let's go. Big time win, fighting to get into the play-in tournament. C.J. McCollum was absolutely on Fire. But what did it cost? It's one of those, you know, the, was it from the Avengers with the, uh, you know, with Thanos sitting there and he says everything is what it costed. Everything. Yeah. What did it cost? Oh, good morning. Welcome to RP3 and company. I'm the big, bald, and beautiful one, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. I'm joined inside the Evco Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette. Evco Development, of course, is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. I'm joined by the producer, Dawson Iserlo, a.k.a. D'Lo. Good morning, sir. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. (laughs) I'll tell you, James Mesh's hearing has to be gone with the, um, the volume settings that I walk into on a daily basis in the morning. It's always super high for you and super low for me it's over here. So Miguez wants it super oh, low. Man. I forget to like you, I've gotten to the point usually where I just come in and turn the knob before I even have to put the headphones on. This morning I forgot, and I mean, it's un- there's no way the kid can hear anything when he leaves the station. <laughs> Oh, man. So how are we feeling about those Pelicans, man? I mean, what are you, what are you, what are you trying to do to me at, at 6.05 on the dot this morning? They got a win. So? They needed a win. <laughs> First of all, barely. <sighs> I thought about going to sleep. They were up 19 points at one point. I you know, hadn't been on my normal sleep schedule as of late, so I thought maybe I'll just... Turn in early. Now, this was an early start, so it wasn't like it was super late. So I shouldn't really complain about that. But I looked, I mean, you know, it was one of those things where I was kind of just doing some other things and had the game on and I kept kind of looking up, glancing up. And, and then all of a sudden I said, wait a minute, there's just, it's a five point game. What, what happened to the lead? But they pulled it off. McCullum was big late and he just hit shot after shot after shot. And, I was paying and attention he's going to have to do that for the foreseeable future because all his help is gone once again. Yes, well, once again, the other shoe has dropped for the New Orleans Pelicans. I was paying attention because uh, a buddy of mine, he bought one of those six-game packs for the season, right? He and his wife are thinking about going up and getting like a 12-game home pack. So last night's game was one of the games that he was going to, and he was all excited 
you know, when he bought the six pack, I remember he telling us in a group text, Hey man, I can't wait to see Luca versus Zion. <laughs> well, well, that didn't happen. Did it? You didn't get to have either one of those players in last night's game. Luca played for a bit for a bit before he got hurt. And I was messing around with my uh, buddy. I was like, man, why do you get everyone hurt? You go show up for a game inside the Smoothie King Center, and you've somehow injured not one but two All-Stars. <laughs> On a day where the news came out about the other one. Where we find out that good old Zion isn't going to be ready for at least a few more weeks. Woj drops the bomb in the afternoon. The rare afternoon Woj bomb. Typically, it's early morning or late at night. No, no. Woj had information to give out to us and said, guess what, NBA? Guess what, Pelicans fans? This is the news that you were hoping for. The hamstring injury that he re-aggravated will now cost Zion Williamson a minimum, a minimum of two more weeks. That is what the Pelicans have said. So, thanks for playing this year. See you for 2023-2024 season. A couple more weeks? You might was, as well just shut them down now. Yeah, I was going to say, but I'm just going to go. I'm just going to make my slates over here on the side. <laughs> He's so disgusted. He doesn't even want to talk about the lead topic on think, the show. Yeah, I think you can call me back in the 615 segment. <laughs> I got this, bud. Not to worry. I'm going to try to be hopeful and positive for you and all the other Pelican fans that told me there was nothing to worry about when Zion got injured. Again. Going to be out for a few more weeks. I just, it's March the 9th. It's March the 9th. And even if he does come back, I've kept bringing up this point as well. Because it's a hammy, you're not going to be able to have him play at max capacity. He tried to come back. He got re-injured during his rehab. And now it won't be now for a few more weeks. It feels like to me that the Pelicans are just, you know, kicking this down the road until the season's over. That way they don't have to deliver the crushing blow that everyone knows is really going on, that the big fella's been shut down for the year. David Griffin and the front office of the Pelicans aren't necessarily the most forthcoming NBA franchise around. They like to misdirect and, you know, not be so honest when it comes to the state of things. So he's going to be out for a couple more weeks. So on one hand, great. 113 to 106 win over Luka and the Mavericks. You needed that win. The Mavericks are above you in the standings. Once again, they're such the log jam in the Western Conference. We've talked about it over and over again. 
And in last night's game, the Mavericks lost Luka. He played well, about 28 minutes, did not have a good night, 4-14 shooting, 15 points before leaving the game. The Pelicans, meanwhile, they got contributions. C.J. McCollum was absolutely on fire, 32 points. They get 16 from Trey Murphy the third, who, by the way, was inserted back into the starting lineup. And he uh, went 3 of 5 from three-point range and 5 of 9 from the field. I still have questions why he was benched coming out of the All-Star break. But I digress. Brandon Ingram, though, only gave you 12 points. Why did he only give you 12 points? Well, on the same day that you find out that Zion won't be back for at least a couple of more weeks, Brandon Ingram suffers an ankle injury in the ballgame. Now, there was the funny video that they shared afterwards where B.I. came back onto the bench with his teammates. He was hugging, playing around with them. He actually was playfully biting one of his teammates. So I'd love to know what type of medication they gave B.I. to help with the pain from the ankle sprain. Because whatever it was, it was the good stuff. So your best scorer... And the guy that's tried to keep you afloat, because as much as I like C.J. McCollum, he has not been consistent. He was great last night, but overall he's not been consistent with Zion out. So now B.I. is going to be out with an ankle issue, probably for a while. Zion's not coming back for at least a few weeks. So it's great that they won the game. With the win over the Dallas Mavericks, by the way, the Pelicans improved to 32-34 and 34 overall. Last time I checked, that's still two games under 500. Which, you know, as I pointed out to one of my uh, buds who was all excited, well, you know, we, we got next year, and we, I, I really like our young core. I go, I really like this core. I go, you mean the same core that's three games under 500? Okay. The Pelicans have nice pieces. I still don't quite know if those pieces all gel together. It seems like they have some really nice pieces. Do they work? Yeah. They worked last year to get into the playing tournament. They worked earlier this year with Zion was healthy. But they really don't look like they work anymore. But with the win, the Pelicans are back in 10th place, firmly in the hunt for the play-in tournament. But what do we expect from them moving forward now? A couple of weeks for Zion. We don't know yet how much time B.I. is going to miss with the ankle issue, which means it's going to be the C.J. McCollum show for really, let's be honest, the rest of the season. So a couple of weeks. Yeah, and the other big problem here is that it's it's a couple of weeks. It didn't say Zion's going to look to get back in a couple of weeks. It said no. we're going to rehive. Like, no, this is, didn't. again, this doesn't mean he's playing. In t- it's almost means he's almost for certain not playing in two weeks. So it's, again, it's just this kick it down the road thing. 
So in in another two weeks, again, you're going to get an update, which at that point, I would imagine, is at least going to be another week. So it's really, in my mind, it's more like three weeks is what the update should have said. So So let's be positive here. You're being very negative this morning, D-Lo. Let me provide you with a ray of sunshine, if I shall. Two weeks, let's say in two weeks from yesterday, which would be approximately March the 22nd. Let's say we get great news from David Griffin that Zion is ready to roll out. Let's go. He's going to play against Charlotte that Thursday night. All right? That means he's going to be out six more games at least. Against Oklahoma City, Portland, Los Angeles, Houston, Houston, and San Antonio. Now, that's the soft part of the schedule. We've talked about that. But can the Pelicans get the job done with no Zion and now maybe no Brandon Ingram? They couldn't get the job done with no Zion. What do you mean, (laughs) can they get it done? No, they can't. They're going to go two and four. you, you, You have completely embraced... No, because the see, glass half cause empty see, on the Pelicans. I'm now. taking a uh, you know a business trip down to New Orleans as we discussed to cover the game. That's right, Saturday. Now I don't get to watch Bi. I don't get to watch Zion. Mm. I get to I don't get to watch Jose Alvarado. My you know the guy I right. really enjoy watching he's still, play. He's still, he's still out. Yeah. So Trey Murphy better go off for forty. Bud, bud, two words, Jackson Hayes. I mean, look, I do enjoy watching Jackson Hayes play, but this doesn't really give him more playing time, so that doesn't even really correlate there you're I'm trying I'm trying my best over here but you'll get to see Pierre the Pelican yeah that's true that's exciting his I I just wish they'd go back to the one that was terrorizing everyone (laughs) the one who looked like he did drugs (laughs) listen he was mean looking that's what you want out of a mascot I got to scare the opponent have him stand by the tunnel oh so the Pelicans win but B.I.'s injured now. How long he's going to be out for, we don't know. But we do know Zion Williamson's not returning anytime soon. Remember when he was supposed to be back right before the All-Star break? Remember that? That was good times, wasn't it? That's quality. Or, hey, RP3, he's going to be right, he's going to be back right after the All-Star break. Or RP3, hey. He re-aggravated the hamstring injury. This team's going to take care of it. They've got it figured out. I'm pretty out. close to just starting the break. <laughs> we got to take a timeout. When we return here at RP3 and Company, the LSU men said, hey, you counted us out? You went ahead and wrote your two-minute drill with us losing? Well, guess what? We're going to gut out a win against Georgia in the opening round of the SEC tournament. Matt McMahon's team wins for only the fourth time against a conference opponent. They did it last night. We'll tell you all about it next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. 
LSU, 14 seed in the SEC tournament, and they looking to make a run. They're looking to make you all believers. Woo, they're going to take over Nashville. Not a team you want to run into in March. <laughs> Not a team you want to run into in March. They tried their darndest to give that ball game away. That was what had my focus last night while I was also checking in on the Pelicans. Look, LSU was able to gut out a 72-67 win over Georgia. It's only the fourth win, I'm sorry, only the third against an SEC foe for the season for LSU. They got to win against an SEC team as the 14th seed. Now, Georgia, after barely beating LSU a few weeks ago during the regular season, Georgia, I do believe, did not win another game. The Bulldogs faded under Coach White. The Tigers broke them. The Tigers, LSU broke Georgia. Wouldn't be the first time in a sport that that's happened. They got out a 72-67 win. Back and forth affair for the first, I don't know, four minutes or so of the game. Cam Hayes had that fast break dunk. It changed everything. LSU took a lead and maintained that lead for the rest of the half. They held a six-point advantage. Now, there was some stretches of really ugly basketball here. We're talking two, two and a half minutes, sometimes three minutes in the game where no one scored a bucket at all. Not exactly beautiful-looking basketball. Once again, this is the opening day of the SEC tournament where the 10 seeds taking on the 14, you know, the 11 seeds taking on the 14 seed, the 12 seed takes on the 13 seed. These are bad basketball teams by nature. But credit LSU. Georgia tried to make a comeback there in the first half, but Ward made a dunk shortly before half, and the Tigers led 42-30. to They had a 12-point lead at the break. And you're thinking, whoa, look at Matt McMahon's team. Man's rolling. Let's go. Let's go. And then the second half happened. Georgia started off on an 8-4 run. LSU answered. Then Georgia fought right back and went on a 9-2 run. And with about 11 and a half minutes to go, LSU's lead was down to three points. They battled back and forth. Back and forth. This game was tied late. Georgia even went ahead. After Jabiri Abdur Rahim drained a three pointer and then took the lead after making a pair of free throws. The two teams traded free throws, but then credit LSU for making plays late. They reclaimed the lead with an Adam Miller three pointer and then a free throw by Miller. And then the Tigers pushed the lead back up to four points with KJ Williams. He's been obviously their best player all year, it's not even close. With a pair of free throws. But then Georgia wouldn't go away. Terry Roberts hits a three-pointer. That sparks a 6-2 run for Ugga. Ties the game back up at 
133 left on the clock. But LSU retakes the lead with that layup by Sean Phillips Jr. And then Williams hits a jumper and then Hannibal hit a free throw to make the difference in the game. Yes, I know what you're telling me. RP3. Timeout. This was 72-67 game. No one scored barely in the last minute and a half. You're correct. Once again, I didn't say it was pretty basketball. But credit LSU for finding a way to win a game. They were the 14 seed. They were the worst team in the Southeastern Conference this year. And they were worse than a team that fired its coach. Think about that for a second. LSU was worse than Ole Miss, who fired their coach before the season was even over. It was a woof-tastic season in Baton Rouge for the men's basketball team. But they get a win. And here's the crazy thing. Are you ready for this? Not only do they get a win at the SEC tournament, which means they advance on to the second round. Who's waiting for them in the second round? One of the few teams they actually beat in SEC play, the Vanderbilt Commodores. <laughs> How funny is that? That they they only beat a few teams during the entire season, and one of them was Vanderbilt. And that's who they get to play in the second round of the SEC tournament. Once again, they'll be the late game. Expect this game not to tip until 8.30. Yesterday's game was originally scheduled for 8. The SEC makes the adjustment throughout the day where they say, hey, heads up. Uh, This isn't happening. (laughs) It's not going to tip until 8.30. But look, man, they get a nice job. Nice performance from K.J. Williams, who had 18 points. He went 8 for 8 at the free throw line, by the way. Also had 8 rebounds. Trey Hannibal chipped in 14 points and 11 boards. They play like that. They'll have a chance to beat Vandy and advance to the quarterfinals. I'll say it again. LSU has a chance to advance to the quarterfinals of the SEC tournament. Didn't think I was going to have those words come out of my mouth. Yet here I am, dazzled by what happened. But seriously, give some credit for Matt McMahon. He had his team ready, Dawson, right? He got his team to get fired up to play in the SEC tournament. Are they going to go anywhere? No. Are they going to make a deep run in Nashville? No. But at least they showed up for the first game. They got themselves a win, and they can feel a little bit better about things. And they improved to 14-18 and 18 overall in the season and now 3-16 and 16 in conference play. Once again, tip is scheduled tonight for 8 o'clock. LSU versus Vandy. We'll have that game for you live right here on the game. Of course, you're home for LSU athletics. But I'd fully expect that game to be tipping off later than 8 o'clock. More like 8.30 or even 9. How about the way this bracket played out? Like, it's not like, look, let's not act like LSU's about to make a run in this tournament. But the two teams they've beaten were the two teams that are also sitting right there in front of them. Vanderbilt, well, Arkansas is not exactly in front of them, but you you look at their half of the bracket. They have the two teams they beat, 
Now the third team that they beat in Georgia, who's gone. Kentucky, who they played well against. Yes. Like, it's funny. I mean, the teams on the other side are the teams that all kind of blew them out. Or at least, I guess, they didn't get blown out by a few of them. But uh, anyway, I don't know. Just the, if, the, if you're saying there's a chance, if you're looking for a path here, Vanderbilt obviously is a decent matchup at worst for them because they just played well against them. And they won. They beat them. They did play very well against Kentucky on the road early. Now, that does feel like a different season back when they were, you know, kind of with some momentum. But you'd have that one in front of that, you know. Are you saying there's a chance? There's always a chance. Oh, you're saying there's a chance? There is always a chance. Get happy, Tiger fans. Let's go. Let's go, Tiger fans. LSU Vandy live from the SEC tournament. Once again, you can hear it right here on the game tonight. Scheduled for 8 o'clock, but let's be honest, it's tournament basketball. We're probably looking more like 8.30, 8.40. Either way, we'll have that game for you live right here on the game. We got to take a timeout. When we return here, we'll talk about LSU basketball, about their former coach, who's now rumored to return to college basketball coaching right here in the state of Louisiana, right down the road in Lake Charles. Will Wade coming back as the new McNeese head coach? We'll talk about that rumor next, right here on the game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. You know, today uh, was a really, really hard day for me personally. Um, you know, Coach Aiken uh, is a dear friend of mine, and um, he's uh, he's a damn good basketball coach. It just, you know, it just didn't work here. Um, and uh, you know, as a university, we've uh, you know made the decision to uh, to part ways, and um, uh, th- those decisions are never easy, um, especially when. Uh, you know, with the guy, the character uh, of John, and um, he's a dear friend, but, um, you know, it, uh, it just didn't work. That's McNeese Athletic Director Heath Schroyer sitting with the media yesterday when they made the announcement that John Aiken had been fired as the men's basketball coach after two seasons at the helm of the Cowboys. He went 22-45 and 45 overall. 10 and 22 in the Southland Conference play. And he was an assistant under Schroyer when Schroyer was the men's basketball coach. And the pandemic hits and then the hurricanes hit. Lake Charles was very much crippled. McNeese was crippled. And Schroyer went into the new role as athletic director, which he has thrived in. And they really needed him in that role. And he very much said, hey, this is my guy. I brought him in as an assistant coach. He can lead the program. Do I believe John Aiken is a good basketball coach? Yes, I I think it's a tough situation to take over a program with everything that they had to take over. 
And also, to be fair to John, you know, he was able to get guys to come in through the transfer portal or just through recruiting that behind the scenes we know just decided not to play. Got hurt and said, I- I'm good. I'm not coming back. You know, at the end of the year, he was playing seven guys. That's it. That's all he had. But he didn't get the job done, right? They were not a good basketball team. They let leads get away from them late. They had at least five or six games that I can remember off the top of my head that should have been wins that looked like they were going to be wins, and then they found ways to lose them. And now that the university has bounced back, the Lake Charles community's bounced back, you are hosting the conference tournaments there across the board. you got to have the men's basketball program be more competitive. You have to have it be a winner. You can't go 11-23 and 23 and 6-12 and 12 in the Southland Conference. You just can't. Not, not with everything that they've done to put the spotlight on Lake Charles, to put everything that goes through the Southland Conference now goes through Lake Charles. You can't have your men's basketball program be one of the worst in the conference. You just can't. That's just business. That's the business of running an athletic department. You can't have one of your marquee programs be pedestrian. You just can't. Schroyer said that he also, one of the top things that he wants, one of the most important things that he wants with the men's basketball program is that he wants them to be competitive in the Southland Conference. Um, I don't know if pressure is the right word, Jeff, but I think that it, it, it obviously um, it shows that, um, that it can be done. Um, and uh, again, my expectation is, uh, is to be competing for conference championships and conference tournament championships um, right away. Uh, I think that in, in today's world, especially in men's and in, uh, in women's basketball, um, you know, you can flip a program and turn it around really quickly. And, uh, and that is going to be my expectation moving forward. He's not wrong. Look at Northwestern State. Longtime beloved coach Mike McConathy retires. They hire a new head coach. They beat top 25 ranked teams and go all the way to the conference tournament championship round last night, which they lost to Texas A&M Corpus Christi. So you can have success in the Southland Conference and you can have it fairly quickly. He's not wrong. Northwestern State has shown you that literally this season. But how close is this program? Because when I look at the composition of the McNeese basketball team, they have a few nice players. They have one really good player, borderline great college player, and that's Christian Shoemate. The kid can ball. You watch him play, you go, that's a that's a guy. That's a dog. He's got the dog in him. He can play 16 double-doubles proves it even when the competition knows that he is McNeese's best player and that more than likely 
he's going to be the one that's going to have to carry the load. He still delivers. But they, they don't really have a point guard. They have depth issues. And Schroyer was directly asked yesterday, how close is this program to being competitive, to being a championship caliber program? Well, I think we can, again, I think we can be at the top of the league. I expect to be at the top of the league next year. Um, you know, I think we, we have some, some good young pieces. But at the same time, when you look at the league, you look at a Northwestern State, you look at a, a Texas A&M Commerce, um, and, or not, excuse me, but uh, Corpus Christi, you know, you look what those two programs in the last two years have done. I mean, um, they're competing for a championship tonight. And, um, you know, that, that is, you know, I want to be in that game next year. I mean, um, you know, I just, I want to I be relevant. You know, I think that for us, our window to be relevant nationally and regionally is right now. Uh, you know, we, we have everything that's in place um, for this job to become an elite basketball job, and it needs to be. So there you go. The man wants the men's basketball program to be elite. He wants it to be competing for conference championships in year one. That's what he expects it to do. That's the expectation from the athletic director. I want this program to be competing for conference championships year one of whoever I hired. The rumor mill has been swirling. And if you've been paying attention, reading the tea leaves, and if you know the right people, you've been hearing rumblings about John Aiken going to be fired for a while and that a certain LSU head basketball coach, Mr. Strong Offer himself, will wade as the leader in the clubhouse to become the McNeese head men's basketball coach. Those rumors were ramped up even more so yesterday, and our buddy Jim Gazzolo from the Lake Charles American Press asked Heath Schroyer straight up in the press conference yesterday, is former LSU men's basketball coach, a man who was fired in Baton Rouge for a lot of stuff off the court, being part of an FBI probe and recruiting violations and all types of other colorful stuff, is Will Wade an option for the McNeese Cowboys? I mean, I've talked to a lot of coaches. Um, you know, I've talked to, you know, I've talked to agents. Um, you know, my phone has been, you know, blowing up, obviously, in the last 24 hours. And, um, but uh, I've talked to a lot of different coaches. And, um, you know, Coach Wade has a lot of options. You know, at the end of the day, I mean, um, you know, all the coaches that I'm talking to have a lot of options. And, and um, you know, but... Uh, you know, we're going to get the right guy that wants to be here. Um, we're going to get the right guy that, that chooses to be here and uh, and chooses to embrace the expectations that I have for this program. I'd be stunned if Will Wade's not the next big niece head coach. Chris Beard looks like he's a done deal at Ole Miss. The former Texas Tech turned Texas coach who was fired during the season, if you remember right, early in the season for the domestic violence arrest. The charges were eventually dropped, but Texas decided to drop him. He apparently, that's going to be a done deal in Oxford. That was one of the options that I thought Will Wade could have open to him. Then I thought, well, maybe Texas Tech is an option, but reports are that the Texas A&M Corpus Christi coach is the front runner for that job. He just won the conference tournament. 
There you go. That's usually how that works. You can win in the Southland, then you get poached elsewhere. Get to go to the Southland Conference if you're Will Wade. Rehab your image a bit. Turn that program around, and in two years, guess what's going to happen? There'll be enough separation in between his time at LSU. He'll prove that he can still win, just like he did at VCU. He can turn around McNeese. I'm sure the contract will be done in a way that if he does leave after a year or two years, there will be a healthy financial contribution to McNeese that will take care of the future salaries of their coaches. That's how that works as well. It makes a lot of sense. McNeese will take heat for it, right? We know this. There will be national people that will be chiming in, talking heads and national columnists. I'm sure Pat Forty will make a trip to Lake Chuck and write something that won't be flattering about the McNeese Cowboys deciding to hire the controversial and, let's be honest, little shady, eh, probably more than a little, Will Wade as their head coach. But you're wanting to turn your program around. You're wanting to find someone who can recruit. And at the end of the day, these athletic departments, ladies and gentlemen, you know what they're in the business of? They're in the business of winning. And that's all that really matters. That's all that really ever matters. But that leads us to our poll question of the day. Do you think McNeese should hire former LSU basketball coach Will Wade? Yes, no, or maybe it's our poll question of the day. Go vote on it, leave your comments, and we'll share them throughout today's edition of RP3 and Company. We got to take a timeout. More RP3 and Company coming up right here on the game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Go subscribe to the game's YouTube channel at The Game Louisiana. That way you can check out the latest original videos and more shenanigans from the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, welcome back to RP3 and Company. We're broadcasting live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. Evco Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. Before we hit our timeout, we unveiled the poll question of the day. It's the big rumor that now that Menise has fired John Aiken as his men's basketball coach, that they're going to hire former LSU basketball coach, well, disgraced LSU basketball coach, Will Wade. And our poll question is, do you think they should? Not will they, but do you think they should? Right now, 50% of you say yes. 42% say no. 8% of you say maybe. Let's get to some, some early comments. John Paul says, that would just be stinky. If they did it, would need to be with the understanding that it will most likely be a short term for him to rebuild his reputation. That's what it's going to be here, right? This is Will Wade, if he takes the McNeese job, rehabbing his image, proving to everyone that he can still coach, and if he can win in the Southland Conference. We just told you that 
the Texas A&M Corpus Christi coach who just won the conference is the front runner to get the Texas Tech job. Come down to the Southland, coach there for a couple years. McNeese will protect themselves as they'll build into the contract if he does leave or gets poached early, if they have like a great year one, right, where they win the league in his first season and go to the NCAA tournament. That There'll be built-in parameters there where McNeese will essentially get a hefty paycheck that would essentially take care of the future coaches' salaries for like three years. <laughs> you know, McNeese gets someone that can come in because that program's been bad for a while. Heath Schroyer didn't have them winning conference tournaments and conference championships. They've been down for a while. You bring in Will Wade, he can turn things around, give you a winner, and then he's off getting a better job, a bigger job. Ton on Twitter says, I mean, if they want violations, I guess. <laughs> Ralph on Twitter says, should they? No. Will they? Probably. It's a splash higher for them, but man the baggage. By the way, here's a shot of Will arriving at Lake Charles Regional Airport. It's a guy just overwhelmed with all his luggage. JPK, the OD, says, for me, that's a hard no, full stop, but I'm sure they will make him a strong offer. Once again, poll question of the day. Do you think McNeese should hire former LSU basketball coach Will Wade? 50% of you say yes. 42% say no. 8% say maybe. D'Lo, what do you say as we wrap up our number one here on the RP3 and company? I mean, I, I think it's kind of the obvious take here. I mean, if that's what you want to do, then you hire him. If, if you don't worry as much about the backlash or if you're willing to deal with it, um, obviously he's going to make your basketball program better. I would be shocked if they didn't win the Southland in the first couple of years. Um, now, the first couple of years might be the only two years you get, but if it's about winning basketball games, he's probably the clear-cut, slam-dunk, no-doubt decision. Um, you take into the other stuff, and yeah, look, were we there for the whole situation? Did the NCAA, you know, or, or whoever was involved, was it all his fault, and how much... How much was this going on elsewhere? I mean, you can ask all those questions, and I don't have the answers to them. So I'm sure McNeese is doing their due diligence on stuff like that, and maybe that's the case. But, again, if, if it's just about winning basketball games, it's an obvious, easy decision. You know, if you have to take any the other stuff, it makes it a little more difficult. Well said, brother. Well said. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything, everything, everything going to be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Seven oh three on the clock on this Thursday morning, March the 9th. Ooh, we've had a good show so far as we're, of course, broadcasting live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. Good poll question of the day as well. We touched on this topic in hour number one. John Aiken fired by McNeese. They're looking for a new head men's basketball coach. The rumor mill has ramped up. That Will Wade is number one on their board. 
should they hire the former disgraced LSU men's basketball coach? That's our poll question of the day. We want you to go vote on it. We want you to leave your comments. And you know what? If you want to holler at us about it, feel free to call the game hotline. 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. Should they? Will they? Look, college basketball is what it is. We can all sit here and pretend that it's a clean sport filled with choir boys and, you know, no shenanigans going on. But let's be real. It's not that way. And NIL and the transfer portal, does that even make like like now that that's a thing and that's established, if what happened at LSU under Will Wade with the FBI wiretap and the strong offers and all that stuff, would that even matter now? I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm posing the question. I'm not saying it was right. Let me be clear here. I'm not saying that is, that is appropriate behavior for a head coach, appropriate behavior for an athletic department. I am in no way saying signing off that that is good stuff. I wouldn't do it. But I'm also not naive enough to you know to sit here and go that it doesn't go on at every single program. But now that NIL is a thing and the transfer portal is a thing, does it even matter, Dawson? Well, maybe not if it happened today, but when it happened, it was a rule. So we, I mean, you know, I don't, I don't think that clears him of any wrong. Bill Self still coaching at Kansas. No, look again. That's what I like. I said there's obviously muddy. We I the I won a national championship last year, and he was part of an investigation as well by the government. And Kansas was like, "Here's a lifetime contract." So and he went and won again, won a national championship in New Orleans, by the way. We I I don't and and none of us have a, as much information about the situation in order to say who was exactly wrong enough to be fired or this or that. LSU made a decision. Kansas didn't. Um, obviously, I think the Wade allegations were a little different from what we heard. But again, I, I'm not going to act like I know exactly what happened. It's so. never a good look when you have someone on your staff that's heard on an FBI wiretap as part of a federal trial. Just a rule of thumb. Like, you know, if all of a sudden it gets unveiled that D-Lo here, during his time in Florida. What are we doing here? Is heard on a wiretap, you know, trying to negotiate illegal contracts, you know, for basketball players. Not a great look for us. Yeah. Right? So, so not good. I think the other thing about Wade that didn't help him, Dawson. The just attitude the arrogance, he took about it. Yeah. Right, right. Just, just the arrogance that came along. I mean, he established his arrogant behavior, his attitude from jump. And I'm not even talking about the situation with Bob Marlin in, in the NIT, where he decided to act like a child. But anytime he opened his mouth, it was just arrogance. And a little humility goes a long way especially in this country, when you screw up, when you fail, 
displaying some humility for your transgressions, even if it's just a minuscule amount, people usually jump on board for forgiving you and just saying, okay, that's fine. We'll move on. Well, that's why if this does happen, if he does get hired as a McNeese coach, I mean, or for that matter, wherever he gets hired, because you know he's going to get hired again at some point. Yes, absolutely. McNeese or not. I will be interested to see what's the approach he takes. Does he take the kind of apologetic, I'm a changed man approach, or does Mm. he just stick with that attitude he had at the beginning and kind of say, yeah, I got caught, but it wasn't only me, or, you know, whatever he'll say. Is he just going to say, yeah, you know, or still deny wrongdoing? Is he just going to say, is he going to keep that persona he had before, or is he going to try to kind of, you know, redesign his image and say, you know, I made mistakes and that's the the old me. Like, I'm that, looking to, to learn see. from it. You know, this year away from basketball and how things ended in Baton Rouge, I'm embarrassed by how it went down. You know, I've learned from it. I'm trying to be a better coach, a better man. Even if you don't believe him, if he takes that approach, then it's going to make it a little bit easier for folks who may view it as, let's just be honest, gross that he and is coaching again. You wonder if the school that hires him, whether it's McNeese or somewhere else, tells him before hiring him, that's the approach that we're going to make you take, you know? Or do that or does that school kind of say you do you if you want to be, you know, if you want to be correct. Not, or, you know. Or is he going to be just def- defiant? Right, and does that school then say, "Hey, if you want to be defiant, it's going to bring more eyeballs to us. Go ahead and do what you want." Well, that's what I Because that's, that's the what's biggest going thing to happen. To Look, I'm I'm going to break this down for you. If McNeese is a bit able to pull the trigger, Dawson, and they hire Will Wade, the first games they play, the advocate will be in the house. Pat Forty will be in the house. Outkick will be in the house. The athletic will be in the house. It's going to bring eyeballs to the program. So whether you like it or not, going out and getting a splash hire like that, a controversial hire, even though I think it's not nearly as controversial as what Chris Beard was allegedly fired for at Texas, Obviously, the charges were dropped, but that was a severe domestic violence situation there that happened, and Texas was like, no, we're good. Yeah, and, and just to really quickly chime in on that, uh, it's it's a strange situation, and I guess Texas had already moved on. Um, and I look, I don't like getting into legal details of things when charges get dropped and whether or not things happen and stuff, so I won't. But I was very surprised that that Ole Miss, or you know, if, if this does take place, because it's not finalized yet, I don't think, but if they do, was surprised how quickly that happened. You felt like teams, we know that guys are going to get second chances in these situations when the charges are dropped, but usually teams kind of like let the dust settle for a while, kind of let things cool down, certainly at least wait till I would imagine the offseason or maybe a year after, but they've, uh, they've moved quickly, and I guess when, obviously Chris Beards has proven a head coach in college basketball on the court, as you can have, because he already had that Texas program doing so, and even before then at Texas, at Texas Tech, how Tech, great he was there. So, yeah, I just I was surprised how quickly that they're that they're moving on this. Right, I'm a little surprised by that too. I thought for sure that he was still going to be a little too toxic, a little too radioactive for anyone to say, "Come on down." But apparently, that's what's happening. But you're going to get publicity, and Will has proven that he is a good coach. 
went at VCU. Now, he didn't start the the run at VCU, right? He inherited a NCAA tournament program. He kept it going during his time there. He did nice, though, at LSU and was able to win at LSU. But he's always going to be the guy that wasn't even allowed to coach his own team at LSU. Like, I went and I covered that team that was the one seed that won the regular season championship. And I'm there in the press conference after they lost to Florida at the SEC tournament in Nashville at the Bridgestone Arena. I'm there at the press conference inside the arena, and there's no Will Wade there. And Javante Smart and the other kids are having to answer questions about their coach who was suspended by his own school. He wasn't even there for them to win the regular season title. He wasn't there when they made the run to the Sweet 16 that year. That was an interim coach. So that's always there. That's always there. But I get why if you're McNeese, your program has been not good for a long time. You're banking on him putting butts in the seat. You're banking on him winning games and making you relevant. But I don't know if I would do it. I understand why they're doing it. I just don't know if I would feel comfortable doing it. And I think a lot of us feel the same way. Let's head out to the hotline. Welcome on Doc to the show. Doc, good morning to you, brother. What's on your mind, my friend? Uh, a couple of things. One, yesterday, I just had a comment. You said that foot didn't want any cheese to take away the flavor of a hamburger. I, I, my follow-up question would be, does he put on pickles, ketchup, lettuce, mustard, onions? Because if he does that, then he has no complaint about the cheese. Um, <laughs> I will. We will. Dawson, can you write that down so we can ask Kevin that later? when he, we, will, we will address that for sure. Yes, we, we will address that, Doc, later. a little bit, as it were. Poke the bear. Of course, always. Um, the other thing would be is I, I would tell you that I don't know why anybody would be surprised about this. I mean, all you have to do is look at Rick Pitino. Yes, people just want to win. You know, that's all they care about. They don't care about how it looks. You know, Chris Beard, all these guys that have things. We all get second chances. You know, it's and I think that's great. Um, I think trends, Hugh Freeze. Uh, I mean, it's across the board. There's not. It's like basketball, any major sport where there's money involved. As long as the money is coming in, that is what it's all about. You're um, you're exactly correct. You know, you mentioned Patino. He's got another ch- uh, sh- a chance. Sean Miller, who was disgraced right. by Arizona, uh, he's coaching Xavier. They're they look they're uh, going to go to the NCAA tournament. Um, the guy at Auburn, I can't remember his name. Uh, Bruce Pearl. Yeah, but Bruce Pearl got a, a, a slew of violations when he was at Tennessee. He got back right. into the SEC, led Auburn to the Final Four. Right. This is college right. basketball. So, that it, right. Is this is this is college basketball. At morality and um, accountability can all be bought and mitigated, swept under the rug. I think it's that's everything has a price, and uh, you know, as terrible as it is. I mean, and I would add what I would add is if McNeese hires him, and in like next year, they win the South Conference. Is anybody saying anything? No. There you go. That's that, and that's all that matters. There it is, my brother. Friend. Well said, my friend. Enjoy your day, bud. You too. Once again, 
If he goes to McNeese and wins, no one's going to care. No one's going to care. All the think pieces written by national columnists talking about how of disgrace it is and how despicable it is and how gross it is and all these other things. You know who's going to care about it? Not a soul. Not a soul. Because when it comes to college basketball, it's all about winning. We got to take a timeout. When we return, Glenn West, our buddy from 247 Sports, is going to join us, get a little bit of a preview for LSU spring football. We'll also get his thoughts on LSU men's basketball winning last night at the SEC tournament. That's coming up next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Here on RP3 and Company, everyone is apparently part of the game family. Brother, 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 brother. Seriously, how many brothers does Ray have? Good morning to you, brother. Back to Ray and all of his brothers right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to RP3 and Company as we're broadcasting live from the EVCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. Don't forget to go vote on our poll question of the day. Rumor mill is McNeese is targeting Will Wade, the former LSU men's basketball coach, to be their next head coach. Our poll question is, should they hire him? Not will they, but should they? We want to hear from you, yes, no, or maybe, and leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. But right now, it's time for us to talk about Will Wade's former team and the former school that he coached at. The LSU Tigers spring football begins today for Brian Kelly, his second season at the helm. The men's basketball team inexplicably won a game last night in Nashville. To talk about both things is our friend. You know him. You love him. It's been a while since he's been on with us from Go247 Sports, the LSU reporter, Mr. Glenn West joins us now. Glenn, brother, how are you, my friend? Good morning, Raymond. It has been a while, but thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Now, I want to start off with a serious question for you. Are you prepared? You ready? Okay, let's go. Now that I have a former high school classmate of yours and someone that you used to hoop it up with as my producer – is this going to increase the chances of you coming on the show, or is it, in fact, going to reduce the chances because of maybe some old-school on-court beef between the two of you? There was no old-school beef between us. Uh, Dawson could certainly shoot it. Uh, I was kind of a shooter myself, but I was a little bit older, so I got some of the playing time when he uh, you know, he had, a, he had an opportunity after I left, but uh, I was – no, no beef, and I'm certainly going to be on uh, a little bit more uh, consistently when you'll have me. There it is. There it is. See? See, Dawson, you were worried. You were worried. Now, see, the other thing, too, is I gave up basketball once Glenn left, lost my inspiration for it, and just stuck to, stuck to baseball and football after that. But, but here it is. Glenn West, multimedia superstar. You're beginning a multimedia superstar career yourself, so maybe you are now drawing inspiration from Glenn in another way. Maybe so. Bud, you're, you, you inspire the people, my friend. We'll take it. 
take it. We'll take it, Dustin, <laughs> right? We, we both made it out. Both made it out. I like that. Both made it out. All right, I want to talk about the men's basketball team because they somehow found a way to win a game, which is mind-blowing that this actually happened. They nearly gave it away because <laughs> Georgia tried to mount a comeback, but they hold on to win. Look, this is not a team that's going to make a run, Glenn. We know this. But how important is it for Matt McMahon for after having such a poor season to, to be able to actually be able to taste victory right here at the end with a win at the conference tournament? How big of a deal is that? Yeah, I, mean, I think it's very important. I mean, I think the biggest point you could take away just for this team is, you know, there was a similar tune kind of playing out uh, to a lot of what they had done for most of the SEC play, which was build a lead, uh, lose it, and then, you know, lose big and you know they first two of those uh things happened they they built a double digit lead they were up by 12 uh they lost it um but you know down the stretch they made plays which they haven't been able to do uh as consistently in sec play uh you had the big four-point play from adam miller you had a nice jump hook from kj williams uh, a real breakout game for sean phillips the freshman um i think that was really really important to see in terms of just being able to close out a game like that, you're obviously, you know, you're not going to make a deep postseason run this year with this group, but uh, to be able to close a game out like that uh, when things tighten up and for, you know, some of the young guys to, to kind of be involved in that comeback, uh, I think was uh, really, really important for the program moving forward. So they get to play Vandy tonight. That's one of the few teams they actually beat during the season, Glenn. Uh, what yep. kind of chance do you give Matt McNann's team to, to win a second straight game? Yeah, I mean, they have the blueprint there now. So um, I think that's, you know, a game that they could certainly win. You know, they, 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 they played really well the first time against them in terms of shooting the ball. They shot really, really well in the first half of that game. I think they made 11 threes in the first half of that game. So uh, not sure if you can expect that in this one. Um, but you certainly, I think, have a blueprint there uh, to being able to, to, to knock off Vanderbilt and that's to make them shoot contested threes. I mean, they're uh, – they are a heavy three-point shooting team. Um, anybody that's watched them this year um, knows that they are, uh, you know, lethal from downtown. But if you can get a hand in their face and make it difficult for them on the perimeter, uh, there's an avenue to winning there. And so, I uh, do think that's going to be kind of the the way that LSU handles this game. Uh, they've 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 done it before, and um, you know, it's it's a it's another big opportunity. I mean, if I had told you at the beginning of the season that um, LSU would win two games in the SEC tournament. Um, you know, compete and get into the quarterfinals, it's probably a result that a lot of people would have taken in, in year one under Matt McMahon. So this is a big game for him. Quickly about Kim Mulkey's team. She's a veteran coach, and veteran coaches typically take losses and turn them into something positive, turn that into fuel for improvement to refocus their team. Do you expect that after being upset by Tennessee in the SEC tournament, that when they begin play inside the PMAC for the NCAA tournament, that we're going to see a more determined, more focused LSU women's basketball team? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's why you brought Kim Mulkey here, was to not only build this thing up, but to be able to handle adversity, uh, kind of shrug it off, and be able to bounce back quickly. And look, that was a, that was a tough loss for them. They were up by 17 points at one point in that game. Um, you know, Tennessee just mounted a really great second-half comeback, and uh, LSU just really couldn't hang, you know, in the second half with them, and so it's going to be really important for them to bounce back. They're going to get a couple home games. Uh, I'm sure the PMAC is going to be electric uh, for those postseason games. 
but they can, they're a team that's certainly made to make a postseason run. Um, you know, they, they, I know they dropped to number nine in the AP poll, which would technically put them in a kind of three seed scenario. They're going to be a two seed. I think they're going to be a, a firm two seed. And I think that uh, there's a, you know, a great chance that they can make a, a deep playoff run this year. We're talking with Glenn West of Go247 Sports. He joins us here in RP3 and Company. All right, bud, let's switch over to football. Spring football begins today for Brian Kelly. And look, they got a lot of key impact players coming back off of last year's 10-win SEC West team. What are some of the big question marks for you entering into spring football for Kelly's squad? Oh, man, that's that's a loaded question because they're, they're going to be plenty of them for sure. I mean, uh, I think one of the most important ones for me um, is how you incorporate Garrett Nussmeyer um, into this offense. You know, he's a guy that you know could enter the portal and go start for probably ninety percent of college football. You know, today, uh, so you have a really deep quarterback room with those two guys, uh, with Nussmeyer and Jaden Daniels, um, and you you need to know that Nussmeyer feels like he's getting some first team opportunities, that he's um, you know the future of this program, that he can have a role on this team. Um, that's more than just being a backup. And so uh, how they handle that situation is going to be very interesting this spring. you still got the uh, the, the May uh, transfer portal entry uh, deadline that you can that players can hop into the portal after spring. You want to make sure that Nussmeyer is not one of those guys that does that. So um, you, I think you've got to give him a ton of opportunity. Um, you know, they have a couple position groups that are banged up right now, running back. They don't have a ton of options. Um, you know, so which guy steps up there? Noah Kane is a guy who uh, seems to be healthy and a guy who's ready to take a bigger step uh, and a bigger load with this offense. Um, certainly looking in, in the trenches with all the newcomers they have on the defensive line, uh, the cornerback room, they've got a practically brand-new cornerback room this year uh, for the second straight year in a row. Um, they handled it well last year, but those were a lot more veteran guys. This is definitely a, a group you would consider to be younger and uh, with multiple years of eligibility and lots of talent, um, but how they come together and how they gel uh, is going to be really, really important for for spring and, and certainly into the off season as well. So they do have some question marks. What's the biggest position group, in your opinion, though, Glenn, that they need development on, and they need to find some guys to really step up during spring ball so they can hit the ground running for fall camp. Yeah, I would certainly put cornerback into that mix, um, and then the defensive line as well. I think they have a lot of young talent on the defensive line, uh, but they brought in a lot of veteran transfers as well. Um, you know, Paris Shand and, and, and Jalen Lee and Jordan Jefferson, these are all guys that are going to be competing for reps on the interior. And, um, you know, you've got obviously Makai Wingo and Mason Smith. Um, you know, Smith's the guy who hasn't really played a whole ton in his career despite having all the talent in the world. Uh, they need to get him on the field and ready. Um, you know, on the edge, you've got a, a bunch of young guys: Quincy Wiggins, uh, freshman Deshaun Womack. There's just a lot of talent there uh, that they're going to have to figure out which ones are ready to play. And so, um, that's kind of what these next several weeks are going to be about. It's going to be important for uh, LSU to have a plan with those young guys that they develop them at a at a pretty rapid pace. And uh, I think you're hoping that one or two of these guys is really ready to play early. All right, bud, we'll get you out of here with this because I know you're a busy man. LSU baseball team, they played the Little Sisters of the Poor over the weekend and scored a bazillion runs. Uh, but they, they are off to a very hot start. 
They're going to get tested. Obviously, their first real test is probably going to be on the road at A&M. Uh, what stood out to you so far about Jay Johnson's group? I think just how they've handled, you know, the, the expectations this year. I mean, they've they came in with all the hype in the world, and they're meeting meeting up to it. I think. I mean, they their pitching has been, uh, you know, stellar for the most part. Their offense has really uh, kicked it up, in, uh, you know, a couple of gears in the last couple of weeks, and um, I think they're just looking like a really really complete team right now. Uh, one that's going to be really hard to knock off uh, come SEC play. Um, you, you mentioned it. They haven't played the, the stiffest of competition in the non-conference schedule. So until we get to see them against a conference opponent, it's going to be hard to make any sweeping declarations of this team. But um, they're certainly, I think, living up to the, ex, to the hype here early in the season. Um, there's a lot of positive momentum going forward. And, uh, you know, Dylan Cruz is, is just really fun to watch. I mean, he, he and Paul Skeens and uh, Thatcher Hurd and Trey Morgan, all these guys that they have that are going to be future MLB players, uh, you've got to enjoy it while they're here because, you know, they're they're really, really talented and uh, guys that I think can help make them uh, national championship contenders for sure. Glenn, appreciate your time as always, brother. Can't wait to have you back on. Enjoy the week ahead, my friend, and I'll uh, talk to you soon. Absolutely, Raymond. Thanks. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, let's head out to the game hotline, 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. Good morning, brother. What's on your mind? Hey, good morning, Mr. Parch. How you doing, bud? Uh, good, good. I just wanted to give you props. Uh, this is a couple days late, but I think the day before UL played their championship game, you said on crunch time that the X-Factor player would be Terrence Lewis. Uh, and, I, and I really just want to commend you on that because I think that he was. I mean, down the stretch, he had a couple of massive rebounds and putbacks. Oh, yeah. Huge free throws at the end of the game. I think that was so kudos to you on that call. I think that was great. Uh, and then on the Will Wade situation, I don't know if people are missing. I think it's a great fit for him at McNeese. And the reason is, uh, you know, obviously it puts McNeese basketball back on the map. But if he gets – if he goes to take a different job in two years, can he just take the players he wants with him? I mean, if he goes east I, to Mississippi, he goes yeah. east to LSU, or he goes west. I mean, he can take those guys with him. Right, um, because it, it, I, because here's the thing with the transfer portal. Things are opened up now and make things far easier. And it was always kind of easy in basketball, right? You always saw a lot of activity, even before the transfer portal became a thing. We saw lots of movement when it came to college basketball. But but here's the thing. You're right. McNeese gets someone that can come in that can recruit. You hope that he can turn him into a winner. If he does get poached after two years, let's say a Big 12 team comes calling or an SEC school or an ACC school, whatever it might be, comes calling, well, then you build it into the contract that you get 
a big, huge check for him leaving, which is going to take care of the salaries for the next coach. But your program is reestablished, which means you're going to be a more attractive job than you are currently right now. So hiring someone like Will Wade, especially if he wins, makes that job look more appealing than maybe it really is. That's the other part of that, too. Yep, that's right. No, I agree. I I think it's a a good fit for both sides. It puts Will Wade back in the game, gets McNeese back on the map, uh, and just, I don't know, I, I think people are overlooking it, but I think it could be a real possibility. Appreciate the phone call, brother. Enjoy your day, my friend. Yep. Have a good day. Okay. Yeah, Dawson. I mean, look, everyone involved here, if this does go down, everyone knows that this is a short-term thing, right? He's not going to Lake Chuck to be there for 10 years. You don't think he wants to retire on beautiful Lake Charles for the next 40 years and bring McNeese now, to be in a dynasty? Now, if he gets exposed to Daryl's, he may want to stay. Now, well, he's already he's already been he's already been familiar with the Chuck, right? I'm sure he's. Oh, I'm sure he is. I'm sure, he stopped by before. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm, I'm I'm sure he is. That just said. Now look, I think of it like a big fat man would. Food. What can you offer me? Yeah, you're going to pay me a bunch of money to coach basketball. That's great. What are you going to feed me? See, I, w- I would be like the cheapest coach possible because I would probably just take payment and food. Give me a car and food, and I'll come work for you. <laughs> but it's going to be a short-term thing, right? It's going to be a short-term situation. They hire Will Wade. You're going to bring him in, help reinvigorate the program, make them a winner. He's going to look to rehab his image. If he proves that he can win at McNeese, someone else is going to come calling because there'll be enough separation in between what happened at LSU and what he's doing now. And look, this is college basketball. Rick Patino, Miller, Chris Beard. It doesn't matter. At the end of the day, athletic programs want to hire coaches that are winners. That's all that matters to them. I've said it before. That's all that matters to them. It's always been the case. It always will be the case from the highest, biggest programs in Division I down to Division Three schools. They all want to win, and they're all willing to look the other way to make sure that happens. Let's head back out to the hotline. Good morning, brother. What's on your mind, my friend? I think it's perfect. He, Like you said, he rehabs his image for a year and uh, kind of flies under the radar. And I think what people are forgetting is that Magnese is the uh, one-bid league, and Magnese is the host site for the next few years. Correct. So he has a foot in the door to be in the championship with a home court advantage for the next few years to get in the tournament. And, I mean, you got, even got to look at Marlon. If Marlon wins a tournament game, there's going to be some big schools looking at him. Correct. Correct. It's all about so success. And look, resume, it's all going to. And look, you can win. Rehab his image. And you can like win in the Southland. And he, he's going to win big. Look, you can win in the Southland in a hurry. We saw what Stephen F. Austin did for years. We've seen Northwestern State win that conference. We've seen Texas A&M Corpus Christi uh, been able to kind of easily uh, win the Southland the last couple of years. And their head coach appears to be the front runner for the Texas Tech job. So you can come to the Southland Conference win the conference, win 23, 24 games, win the conference, get the automatic bid to the NCAA tournament, and then turn that into, guess what? 
a bigger job. It's happened over and over again. And look, you mentioned Bob Marlin. Bob Marlin was led Sam Houston State out of the Southland to the NCAA tournament twice. That helped propel him to get the UL job. It happens yep. over and over and over again. So you think the Cajuns in Mamie's plays of way way gives a job? That's a great question. I, I wish I had the answer. I want them to play. Uh, you know, that would be so salty. They have a nice kind of handshake agreement that UL and McNeese still playing basketball, but Will Wade going there, oh, man, that kind of that changes the dynamic, doesn't it? Um, I, I think it would be blockbuster. I think it would be wildly entertaining. Uh, there would be a ton of hype around it. Uh, people love that game anyway, right? Then you add Will Wade to the mix. Woo, things could get salty. That could be blockbuster. I don't know, though, if it happens because I don't know if the contract is set in stone or if that's just simply like a handshake deal. Hey, let's make sure to play each other every year. Uh, if, if that's the case, then I could see that easily going away. <laughs> just being honest. All right, man. All right, brother. Appreciate the phone call. Enjoy the rest of your day. Yeah. Now, look. Bob may say, you know what, hey, it's water under the bridge. I'm still coaching my team. You're coaching at McNeese. Let's play. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, uh, that may be how, uh, how how it rolls. But I'm telling you, if this goes down, everyone's going to be packed into the Legacy Center, especially early. I've seen it happen before. What I call old school parachute journalism. Hey, we don't care about your program until right now. Let's pop in. And if you're McNeese, you're all about it. Because if the Athletic comes and writes stories about you, Sports Illustrated comes, Pat Forty writes about you, Glenn Gilbo writes about you, you know, you get reports on ESPN, they're talking about you trying to resurrect Will Wade, trying to resurrect his career in Lake Charles. It's all publicity for your program. All publicity. What's the old cliche? All publicity is good publicity. Uh, yeah, I think I butchered that. I think, yeah, way. it's no publicity. <laughs> 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 I believe the cliche is okay. no publicity. No, wait. I, now I'm getting it. You kind of twisted it up in my head. Yeah, you're welcome. This is what happens when no you work publicity alongside. is bad publicity. Is I think the cliche. All right, there it is. We got it. We got it right. I no. I don't. I'm not. So that doesn't sound right now that I'm saying it. Now I don't know if that's just because you said it said differently, it and then that kind of messed up what I thought of in my head. But there it is. We'll have that for you out of the break for sure. <laughs> we'll we'll get that fixed moving forward. Hey, make sure you're safe out there today. We hear our guy Steve Wiley talk about the traffic. So if you're trying to bebop around this morning to work or maybe to school, like my wife and daughter are going right now, trying to get to school, just be safe out there. If you're a little late getting to school, that's not a big deal. Just be careful out there on the roads this morning. We got to take a timeout. More RP3 and company coming up. We'll update that poll question of the day. That's all next right here on the game. This is RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Kevin, we pitched the snot out of it tonight, and, and 
can't say enough about the job the bullpen did. And the defense complimented them uh, very well. Uh, you know, those guys can swing the bats, and they hit a lot of balls hard that we were able to defend. And uh, that made a huge difference. I was proud of Ben for sticking with it. You know, we go two walks, a wild pitch, a hit batter, and a stolen base in the first. So basically they're scoring without, I mean, they had one base hit. Uh, and then he comes back in the second, settles in a little bit, and then we were able to hand it off to Coop and, and execute our game plan pretty good from there. Raging Cajun baseball coach Matt Deggs on his team's 5-3 to three win over McNeese there at Russo Park last night and it came a week after losing 5-4 to four to McNeese over at Joe Miller Ballpark. And look, uh, Will Vayon had a big two-run double in this game uh, as the Cajun scored three runs in the sixth inning that proved to be crucial. And then the pitching came in and retired the final 13 batters they faced. A good little midweek game for this team. McNeese is a quality program. You know they're going to be good. They're going to be competing for the Southland Conference Championship. So uh, it's good, especially with dropping two of three to, to Campbell. You win the finale, Dawson, then you bounce back with a midweek contest win as well. It's a good quality midweek win for the team. Yeah, and, and that Campbell team, not that we didn't already know they were good, they went to Tulane over the midweek, which Tulane in a down year for sure, but put about 147 runs on Tulane in a couple of midweek games and beat them both times. So, uh, yeah, and here's my big takeaway. I tweeted out last night. I don't know about the rest of the bullpen. Blake Marshall's the closer, and he is a legit back-end guy. Um, the yeah. stuff is special. Uh, the velocity's there. He's from the left side. He's got a great breaking ball. There's your back in your first back end piece that's kind of set in stone, which we've talked about kind of figuring mm-hmm. things out last night. Not that we had already seen it a good bit this year. Last night kind of firmly cemented that in my brain. So Blake Marshall's in the back end of the bullpen and you're feeling great about that. Now you start to kind of figure out some of the other pieces that you need to put in place. And, you know, a, a much needed win for the team to kind of get some momentum. They are welcoming in, obviously, High Point University from the Big South Conference for a three-game set this coming weekend. And Deggs talked about just how needed the win was for the Cajuns. Yeah, I mean, you want to win all of them, Kevin, obviously, but uh, we want to get that taste out of our mouth. And we none of us were happy. I can speak for all of us. Uh, it's just kind of the way we gift-wrapped a lot of stuff. Uh, you know, and there's some things we could have done better tonight, but when you pitch it and defend it and come up with a big hit or two, usually that's the result. Shout out to Semisonic being played on the uh, PA system. I don't know if that was their way of trying to get everyone off the field, but bravo. Always uh, never ideal scenario to record audio inside <laughs> Russo Park, ever. <laughs> it's, always a, it's always a challenge. But the Cajuns get the win. They'll welcome in High Point University for a three-game set this weekend. They're at Russo Park. McNeese, meanwhile, hey, they split the season series with UL. That's a win for them. They'll go back home. They'll welcome in Prairie View A&M for a three-game set this weekend at Joe Miller Ballpark. Hour number two in the books. Hour number three, we'll kick it off with Les Cease of CrescentCitySports.com. Talking Pelican Saints. That's next right here on The Game. Oh, yeah. Everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. 
Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Eight oh three on the clock on this March 9th edition of RP3 and Company, which means we only got one more hour to go. Coming up at 8.30, Corey Diaz from the Daily Advertiser will be joining us. Talk Raging Cajun Spring Football and LSU Women's Basketball. That'll be coming up. Don't forget to vote on our poll question of the day as well. Rumor has it Will Wade is the top target for the McNeese men's basketball vacancy. John Aiken was fired yesterday. Should McNeese hire Will Wade? Comes with a lot of baggage, but which basketball coach these days really doesn't? I mean, they're few and far between, right? Like Bob Marlin? <laughs> There's not many. I'm just saying. It's a very, it's a very short list. Very short list of men's basketball coaches that uh, do not have baggage. Yes, no, or maybe. That's our poll question of the day. Go vote on that. Leave your comments. Your thoughts, if you will, on Facebook and Twitter. Just make sure you keep it clean for the kids. Right now, though, it's time for us to talk New Orleans Saints, New Orleans Pelicans, with our guy Les East from CrescentCitySports.com. Les, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend? I'm doing well, Raymond. How are you? I'm doing amazing. So, last night, bud, great news. The Pelicans won, but, but... Zion's not going to be back uh, for a couple more weeks, if at all. And now we got Brandon Ingram with an ankle injury. What do you make of the New Orleans Pelicans as it stands right now this morning, my friend? Well, they they got a win that they desperately had to have last night, but uh, the Ingram injury certainly complicates things. I, I wasn't surprised by the Zion Williamson news. They said he would be reevaluated so that, you know, he, he wasn't going to be cleared yesterday, but the fact that it's going to be another two weeks before he's evaluated again means that uh, we don't know if he's coming back at all. And if, if you look at the calendar, um, my guess is probably the best case scenario is that he would be able to play in about five games before the end of the regular season if he does come back at all. So uh, that's not encouraging. And given Brandon Ingram's history of coming back from injuries, he he might be back sometime around Christmas. So, um, you know, I don't know. Well, we'll find out whether he's able to play sometime in the near future. But if he's going to miss – uh, multiple games, and uh, that's going to make it really hard for them to take advantage of this four-game homestand, which they really need to do. So it's a good win, win they needed desperately, but uh, it's going to be a day-to-day thing with Brandon Ingram. They have Zion out now. B.I.'s hurt again. Jose Alvarado is still out, right, with the injury. They're banged up, uh, but even when they had the majority of their pieces, even without Zion, they they still kind of struggled. What's I I guess what's the mindset here for this team, or what does Willie Green need to do 
now that he's really being challenged and is facing some severe adversity in year number two. It's been a year of it. Uh, What's the mindset for him, and what's the message to the team from him, do you believe? Well, I think probably the first thing is uh, that they need to continue what they started last night. And it wasn't a great performance last night, but what did happen is that when they were uh, in in serious danger of letting a 19-point lead get away, C.J. McCollum just took over and um, scored 13 points in a little over two minutes. Um, so that's what they need is the, the veteran players that they do have have to take over in critical situations like McCollum did, and, and certainly Ingram would have to do that if he's healthy. Valanchunas would have to do that. But also... They had multiple role players step up and had big games. Trey Murphy the third played well. Herbert Jones played well. Uh, Jackson Hayes played well after they had some foul trouble with their their bigs early in the game. Uh, Billy Hernan Gomez had a had a few moments. Najee Marshall chipped in. So that's what they the, the that's what they have to have. They have to have the the veterans take over, but they also have to get role players contributing better than they have been because a lot of those young guys that I mentioned have really not played well during this bad stretch that they've had, and they got four or five guys to contribute last night. So it's going to have to be a group effort, and the the veterans are going to have to lead the way, but they're going to have to get help from a lot of guys who have not been giving them much help recently. Do you believe as it stands right now, that this is still a team that has a chance to maybe make it up as a top six seed, or do you think the best-case scenario for them is the play-in tournament? Yeah, I think probably a play-in tournament. I mean, mathematically, they certainly can can still get into the top six, but uh, given how shorthanded they are and how they've played for the most part over the last two months, really, uh, doesn't suggest that they're ready to go on any kind of run here. Uh, and, and we don't even know if Zion Williamson's going to be available. So, uh, you know, at, at this point, all they have to do, they, they just have to be in the top ten. I mean, they, they you know, it'd be nice if they avoid the play-in tournament and, and get higher up. But, you know, at this point, it's quite possible they don't make the top 10. So the main thing is get somewhere in the top 10, wherever that might be, and try and get healthy before the play-in tournament starts. And then, you know, they they showed last year that they can, uh, they're capable of winning the play-in tournament and then being very competitive after that. And if they're healthy, they're certainly capable of doing that again. So uh, I wouldn't get overly concerned about, the exact position they wind up in because they could wind up out of the whole thing. Just get in the top 10, get healthy, and then take it from there. We're talking with Les East of ChristmasCitySports.com. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. You know, they have this stretch, this home stretch, and, and they play teams that are fighting for the play-in tournament just like they are. So it's a critical stretch for them, Les. But then after that, there's a little bit of a reprieve, right? They have to go on the road and take on the Rockets twice, and then you know they still play the Spurs right after that, and those are two teams that are fighting to have the rights to draft the big fella out of France. So some winnable games, but 
the way the Pels have played, you really can't pencil in anything as a W. So what does this team need to do in, say, the next seven, eight games? Well, they need to uh... – they, they can't afford to lose any games against lottery teams, you know, against clear-cut lottery teams like the Rockets and Spurs, for one thing. And that's they, they've done pretty well against those teams in January, which was just an awful month. Uh, the, the few wins that they did have uh, generally came against teams um, that that were way down in the standings. I think they beat the Rockets, the Spurs, and the Pistons uh, along the way. And that that's what they need to do is is uh, go undefeated against the teams that are at the bottom of the league. And then they got to take care of the teams um, that are around them in uh, and competing for spots in the play-in tournament and, and maybe even a little bit higher. And that's why this weekend is going to be so important. Oklahoma City and Portland are two of those teams. And uh, if they're going to get to where they want to be, uh, they're probably going to have to finish ahead of both of those teams, or at least one of them. So, um, can't lose any to the bottom feeders, and you got to take care of business also against the teams uh, that you're competing head to head with. And that's going to mean that they're going to have to uh, have a pretty, um, pretty good record here down the stretch. And I don't know if they're capable of doing that given the way they've been playing since New Year's, but. Um, we'll see. They have an opportunity. The schedule in January was brutal. Uh, it hasn't been a lot better since then, and they're about to get a more manageable series of opponents. They have to take advantage of that. Let's switch over to the NFL. Lots of money being spent on quarterbacks, middle-tier quarterbacks. Geno Smith getting a lot of money. Uh, Daniel Jones getting a lot of money. I know people first squawked at how much the guaranteed money was going to be for Derek Carr, but compared to what the rest of the market's kind of dictating and how much money's being spent on quarterbacks the last couple of years, it's not necessarily a terrible deal, is it? No, no, I don't think it is. And um, uh, when you look at the other options that they had, and what they would have cost, I think the value uh, is still good on the Derek Carr deal. I like the fact that he worked with them in trying to structure it in a reasonably cap-friendly manner. And I think that's really one of the keys to that deal being a good deal uh, for the Saints. They got the best quarterback they realistically could have gotten this off season, And he worked with them. He obviously wanted to be here because he uh, would not waive his no-trade clause with the Raiders because he didn't want his new team to have to give up something uh, for him. And then he, even though he had presumably a couple of other possibilities on the open market, he worked with the Saints to make the the contract work for both sides. And so I think uh, that shows that he wanted to be here as much as they wanted him to be here, and they respected each other enough to work together to make a, a, a reasonably good deal happen. And so uh, I think it's an outstanding move for the Saints, and, and I think it's a good move for Derek Carr. Now that they have the quarterback, what is going to be their biggest priority moving forward with the draft and the rest of free agency? What do they do? Well, I think 
both lines remain very high on their list. They, they have to um, address the offensive line, particularly on the interior. Same thing with the defensive line, uh, particularly on the interior. Although, depending on what happens with Marcus Davenport, you know, defensive end could also be an area that needs to be addressed. Um, you know, the Mike Thomas situation will impact uh, where wide receiver falls on their uh, list of needs. Uh, if he comes back, that's a, a fairly good position. If uh, he doesn't come back, then they, they need to address depth there. Certainly running back with the Alvin Kamara situation and not having a strong number two running back, um, even without his suspension, that's um, that's going to be something they have to address. And then, you know, I don't think quarterback's off the table. Even with the signing of Carr, it certainly means they don't have to uh, make it as big a priority as it otherwise would have been. But I think that they they probably will release Jameis Winston. They will talk to Andy Dalton about coming back as the number two, but he's a free agent. Uh, but I could see them going for a young player that they could groom behind Derek Carr. So that that's still a possibility, but certainly it's not. Uh, something that they desperately need at this point. But the, the, the two lines, I think, are the ones that jump out the most uh, as far as needs they're going to have to address. So line of scrimmage, D-tackle probably in particular, right? Offensive guard springs to mind. And then, uh, of course, running back. Do you still think they're in a the market of adding a wide receiver because you really don't know about Michael Thomas because – Sometimes on social media, he seems like he's happy. Other times, he seems like he's not happy with the Saints. You never can tell if that's something that's going to work out. You hope it does, but you don't know if it will. So should wide receivers still be a priority in in some regard? Well, like I said, it, it pretty much um, depends on, on what happens with Mike. You know, they um, obviously Chris Olave is going to be a significant part of their offense for many years to come. And uh, Rashid Shahid uh, played very well last year. Looks like he's going to be a, a player that they can count on. So if you throw Mike Thomas in the equation, it, that that's a lot to work with. They could still probably add some depth. Um, but if if Mike's out of the equation, then yeah, you have two very very young players uh, and not a whole lot behind them. So. Uh, it, wide receiver is still going to be something um, that they're probably going to want to address in some fashion, but that um, changes quite a bit depending on whether Mike Thomas is in the mix or not. Les, appreciate your help, as always, of giving us the information when it comes to the Pels and the Saints. Brother, hope you enjoy your upcoming weekend, my friend, and we'll talk to you next week, bud. Thanks, Raymond. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. You know how some fellas don't care how they look? I mean, a few of you are rocking sweatpants that haven't been washed in days. Ew. Not to worry, my dear unkempt friend. RP3 and Company is a judgment-free zone. Hell, sometimes these guys don't even wear pants. I would like to extend to you an invitation to the pants party. Excuse me? The party. The pants 
with pants. Party with pants. Now back to the hopefully fully clothed RP3 on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. If you're honest with yourself, fellas, you know your golf game needs some help. Let's be honest here. I know mine does. And every week, thankfully, we've been talking with the fine folks over at Skill Masters. It's a great new app. It's all about boosting players and coaches' development and exposure. And we spent a lot of time talking about what they can do for your golf game. And we've been doing that with Thomas Wartell, the year golf coach. Thomas joins us now here on RP3 and Company. Bud, good morning. How are you? How you doing, man? Beautiful weather out there, huh? It is beautiful weather out there. It's the type of weather that you wish you weren't inside the studio <laughs> and kind of kind of live your life there, brother. So, uh, look, man, we've been spending a lot of time uh, talking about, you know, uh, how to approach your iron game, your driver, your putter, your short game with your wedges and everything like that. I, I want to talk to you about something just very simple, and I think it would help out a lot of golfers out there listening, both young and old. How do you know what clubs to have in the bag? Because you can have too many clubs in the bag, right? We know that. And then a lot of times guys struggle with having too many clubs or they have three or four different drivers and they have three different putters and they have two four irons for no good reason or they have a three in there that they never use. Um, how? What kind of advice do you give about how to organize your bag and what clubs to have in the bag? Oh, that's a great question because I get that one every day. And uh, just a couple of funny things. I get people in here all the time uh, carrying like two and three irons, and I ask them, why are they carrying that club? And they say, well, I use it to punch out from the trees. And I say, well, stop hitting it in the trees, and you won't have to have a club to punch out from the trees. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> but, but uh, you know, it, it's interesting, like in my bag, for years, I actually, the rules of golf, you know, the strictest rules of golf, you can only carry 14 clubs in a competition. And I actually only carry 13, believe it or not. Uh, I just, uh, I think we have too many clubs. There's almost too many choices. And, uh, you know, one of the things we talk about at Skill Masters is, you know, strategy of the game. And strategy of the game is, just as you're talking about, the club club selection and the bag selection. The trend nowadays is for irons, is basically a five iron is, is the longest iron that most average golfers should carry. And there was a recent study, and they said if your swing speed wasn't uh, over uh, 80 miles an hour, I think, with a, uh, a five iron uh, or a seven iron, you shouldn't even be carrying anything higher than a, than a six to a five iron. So most of the sets that uh, come through here, we actually discourage um, – uh, the you know the three and the four iron. Yeah, you know, back in the day, I used to carry a one iron. I carried a one iron, a three iron. I don't carry even a three iron anymore. I carry hybrids. So hybrids uh, are, are are the trend. Even is getting on the tour now is actually they're using seven woods. And you know in the old days, seven woods were were considered like a really lofted wood. Now a lot of the tour players carry five and seven woods, and it kind of fills the gap. And they're moving away from. Uh, sometimes they'll carry a driving iron, but they're moving away from the two and the three irons and the four irons, and certainly the average golfer should move away from from that. Uh, and if they're going to add anything, they usually add towards the wedges. I kind of stay away from adding too, too many wedges. I fit, fit people when we add wedges, but uh, I stay away from it personally because I just I grew up with that one wedge, and I carry one or two wedges, and I just kind of learn to hit every shot with those couple of wedges, and it gives me a little less to think about 
Well, it is something to where you can overthink it when it comes to the equipment, right? You just brought up a good point. You use the same one or two wedges essentially your entire adult life. And, and that's what yeah. you've used and that's what you trust. What do you say to the golfer that sometimes gets frustrated? And it's probably because their swing isn't right, right? Their approach isn't right. Their preparation isn't right. That they go, you know what? This club isn't working for me. Um, uh, Thomas, it's not working for me. I'm just going to go buy another one. Or I'm going to go buy a, a, a different, you know, different brand because that's going to help fix my game. What, what do you tell the folks when they bring that up in conversation? Because I know it happens all the time. It happens all the time, and we do a lot of club fittings, and we actually uh, we, we move a lot of custom clubs through here. It's a double-edged sword. So if you have flaws in your setup, which is skill masters, we talk a lot about uh, GPA, grip, posture, and alignment, but particular posture. If you have a poor posture and that club is not – and you go and get fit for a new club or go grab you know, the latest, greatest $700 driver or, or seven you know uh, $2,000 set of irons and – and your posture is bad and they're set for a bad posture, then you're only just exasperating a problem. So, yes, you're correct. you gotta, you got to make sure that the swing is actually the fundamentals are there before you even consider getting a, uh, a new set or a properly fit set. When I fit somebody for a set of clubs, we make sure that the grip posture alignment is correct, and then we, we, we may set to the build. And, you know, build being how tall, how short you are, length of arms, uh, wrist to floor, we call it length. And that all makes a difference. So, yes, custom clubs are very important because the shaft is important. All of that stuff is important, but it all goes out the window if you have a poor setup and you just have a poor golf swing. You know, it's not always the arrow. A lot of times it's the Indian. Wrap it up with this. Because my daughter, for whatever reason, has expressed an interest of picking up the game of golf, and we'll play around a little bit in the backyard, and I'll try to teach her how to do a few things that I know won't traumatize her for the rest of her life. But for whatever reason, she wants to pick it up, and my wife and I want to encourage her, but... I've never had to buy clubs for an eight, soon-to-be nine-year-old who likes to go through growth spurts, okay? So what's the recommendation that you have for a family that has a young youngster, a girl or boy, that wants to pick up the game? What do you recommend, especially going to get in clubs? I, I kind of went through this because my son is now 17, and I, I actually teach a lot of junior golfers as well. But my son's 17, and he went through the whole stage from he started when he could walk. And... Uh, um, I definitely think they need the proper clubs, particularly links. Uh, some of the things that we did, I actually got him in um, kind of like senior chef flax when he was pretty young. We did cut him down, but one of the with the growth sport thing is one of the you know the different companies have different philosophies and they come in different sizes. There's one company that goes by height, but I actually just take a piece of tape if the club's not excessively long. So say it's you know, been cut down a little bit, but it's still too long. Just take a piece of tape, and then uh, I have a, you know, at Skillmasters, we use a certain fitting system that we can, I can just set the club up against them. And, you know, for yourself, here's just a quick way to do it. Is take your seven iron and put it right in front of you, just straight up and down, you know, the toe on the ground, and just right, and see where it comes. If it comes up just above your belly button or whatever, or right at your belt buckle line. Well, that's what a seven iron is to you. Do the same thing with her seven iron. And then take a piece of tape, and if it's about her belt buckle line, that's how long the uh, this club should be. So you can either cut it or you can just put a piece of tape there because next year she's going to be two inches taller, you know, and then she's going to get two inches. So you can just keep moving it, moving the tape as long as the club's not excessively long or too heavy. 
I love that. I love that. That's an affordable piece of advice right there. <laughs> because, yeah, you know, she really wants, she's been chomping at the bit. And I'm like, okay, sure, you know. And then, you know, every time I see her go through a growth spurt, I'm like, uh-oh, uh-oh. Do, do, oh, do, do I want to spend that money right now? <laughs> yeah, that's. I, I definitely recommend that. And, you know, you can pick up a few good uh, pre-owned sets at, at certain pre-owned uh, websites and stuff and different uh, golf courses around here that sell them or, or shops in town. But, uh yeah, if you could find her like a junior set or a lady set, and then instead of just rebuying a new new set every time, just do that little system like that, and and you just put that tape and move it. As long as the club's not like eight inches too long, it's okay. You know, I I personally got my son in the longest length club as soon as he could because I believe that uh, it makes them stronger if they swing a little bit bigger club at some point. But, you know, you don't want it so big that the club's swinging them. Brother, appreciate the time as always. Thomas, thank you so much for the insight. Keep enjoying the pretty weather out there, man, and try to spend as much time as you can out on the course. Awesome. Sounds great. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Uh, Don't forget to get your votes in for our poll question of the day. Oh, man. It's all about McNeese rumored to be hiring former LSU men's basketball coach, the man who was fired by LSU, for not wins and losses for other things. He's rumored to be the top candidate to replace John Aiken over in the Chuck. Our poll question of the day is, do you think – McNeese should hire former LSU basketball coach Will Wade. Right now, 58% of you say yes, 32% say no, 10% say maybe. Keep those votes coming. Keep those comments coming as well. Leave them on Facebook and Twitter. Just make sure you keep it clean for the kids. We've had a tremendous show so far. It's about to get better. I know what you're thinking. How can it be? Well, we're going to talk Raging Cajun spring football, and then we're going to also talk a little LSU women's basketball by a man who covers both of those better than anyone else. Our friend from the Daily Advertiser, Corey Diaz, joins us. Corey, good morning to you, brother. How are you? What's up, my man? Doing well this morning. How are you? I am doing absolutely tremendous. So let's start with the Raging Cajun football team. Spring football began this week for Coach Dez. And I've said this uh, earlier this week. The second spring for any coach is usually a pretty critical one. And, And not because of any competition or anything like that going on. It's just the coach has a year under their belt. They can actually breathe. And the second spring is not a rush job. You're not worried about filling out your staff or trying to get some last-minute recruits. Your team is set. You can breathe, and then you can really start making some strides. Um, what do you want to see or hoping to see out of Coach Dez and his team with his second spring coming up right here? 
Yeah, you know, I, I think Raymond, the biggest thing, and, and, and Des did talk a little bit about this um, after day one, uh, Tuesday afternoon was, um, you know, I, I, I need to see some, I need to see some, some malleability, you know, offensively, you know, in terms of, um, you know, kind of what they, what they're really going to be, you know, from an identity standpoint on the offensive side of the ball. Um, you know, uh, look, I, I think most most Raging Cajun fans will agree with me on this. Decide who the quarterback's going to be and roll with him. You know, I think that's obviously at the top of the list, right? Let's let's don't let's don't shuffle them around. Let's don't give a guy two series and one series off. Like let's, you know, whomever it may be, you know, Chandler Fields, Deion Chris. Ben Wolders, whenever he's able to get back from his ACL injury, whoever wins that battle, let him be the guy, you know. Um, and then, you know, whether it's, um, you know, four wide sets or, or, you know, running a little more, uh, you know, multiple tight end sets, you know, let's, you know, let's try to settle in on, on kind of what it's going to be. Whatever this, whatever this particular offensive roster is going to do the best, um, really, really hone in on that. Um, you know, I think last year we, we all saw that there was, you know, I think we just saw a coach that was really trying to find his way uh, first ever time being a, a head football coach at the college level. Um, you know, that's, you know, it's a lot different than, than high school, right? You're, you're finding out probably as each day was going on the kind of different responsibilities that a college football coach deals with. And uh, I think 100% last year was, was, was all about learning for Des. And you're right, Raymond, you said at the top there. Um, the culture's now set. Um, you know, for the most part, you know, your roster's in place. Now you can really sink into evaluating, especially here in the spring. If you need uh, you need some help at a particular position, you can use these 15 practice to really identify where you would need that help so you can uh, maybe go to the transfer portal, obviously, um, to, to, to find who that could be. So, um, yeah, I, I think – it's mostly offensively. I feel really good about the defensive side of the ball this year. I know they lost a lot of guys off of last year, but a lot of guys are back that played significant minutes and significant snaps last year. There's not going to be as much of a drop-off as I think people are anticipating on the defensive side. So really, to me, my focus this spring is, is kind of what what shape the offense is going to take. Uh, and obviously that starts here in the spring. That leads me to my next question. We know that Coach Dez is a loyal guy, and he rolled with Chandler Fields. And then when Chandler didn't get the job done, he turned to Ben Woolridge. And then Woolridge led them until he suffered a devastating injury, and they turned back to Chandler. But we saw glimpses of Zeon Chris, who I call a bigger, stronger, and more athletic version of former starting quarterback Levi Lewis. He gave them a spark, a big one in the bowl game. Is Coach Des actually going to open this competition up in the spring and let the young man Zeon Chris have a chance to win the job? You know that, that's a good question, Raymond. Uh, I I lean toward yes, um, and, and that's just the that's just my gut. And, and the only reason I say that is because you know we really we really only saw what I believe it's six starts from Chandler last year. So he started a little less than, than half the year. Um, you know, I, I think with that sample size, right. I mean, you're looking at, 
you're looking at guys at that at that quarterback position who are all still really unproven. I mean, I, and I would argue that maybe Woltridge is is the most proven uh, of the three, uh, which is kind of strange because he's you know he's still rehabbing right now and is unavailable in the spring, and uh, you know his particular timetable is is still kind of up in the air, but. Uh, I think you have to open this up, man. And really, I, I think maybe even Chandler would say, yeah, let's open this up because I want to be pushed, you know. Um, and I think Zion can obviously be a guy that can push him at that spot. Um, so my, my, my gut tells me, yeah, um, you know, let these guys, you know, really sort of go at it. Start the battle now. Um, obviously, no, no decisions will be made after 15 practices in the spring. Uh, and then when the guys, you know, report back for off season. Uh, conditioning and workouts, see who's handling that the best, uh, and then get into fall camp. And, you know, it, it's weird when a team's having a, a quarterback competition two falls in a row. Um, but I think UL is, is positioned to, to have that weird, rare um, situation play itself out. Um, but I, I think ultimately, right, at the end of the day, you're wanting to play the best guy. You're wanting to play all 22 of the best guys. Um, and, and at the quarterback spot, it's no different than any of the other 21 spots. You know, let them, let them battle it out, and you play the best guy. What are we going to see at running back in the spring? Are we going to see an open competition as well? Well, yeah, I mean, it's uh, – I mean, I, look, I, I think running back is going to be by committee again. Um, I, I don't – I think there's, there's so small of a gap between Terrence Williams – Draylon Washington, Jacob Cabote, that, um, you know, why wouldn't you play all three? Yeah, Because, yeah, you know, I mean, you're, you're talking about a spot that obviously takes a lot of hits, you know, takes a lot of reps. Even they're taking hits even when they're not actually carrying the ball, you know, and blitz pick up and the pass protection and stuff like that. So, I mean, you know, why not play all three? You know, that, that would be my argument, RB3, is why not play all three? I mean, they all, they all kind of bring something different. Um, you know, and, and that obviously gives you an extra dimension to your offense as it pertains to, to run or play action or, or what have you. So uh, I, I I don't know if that necessarily answers your question is an open competition. I, I mean, I just think you've got three guys there that you can roll out there and, and give, you know, a dozen carries a game and probably not lose much production. One more for Raging Cajun spring football. Wide receiver uh, Des said that he believes the young man, uh, the former quarterback, Mr. Lejeune, is going to be the number one wide receiver and that he has a future as a NFL wide receiver. Uh, I was a little taken back by that, not because I don't think he can be that, but I was just kind of surprised Des said it. Spring football, he's going to be the number one wide receiver. Uh, what do you make of that, and who do you think is going to be the number two? Yeah, I think it's um, I think it's a tremendous opportunity for Lance. Uh, and you know the, the the time that we've been able to spend around Lance, I've, I've been just tremendously impressed by him. Not only as a you know a player on the field, but I think he's a I think he's a tremendous kid off the field. And I think he's a guy that um, when you talk about you know, I mean, he was you know featured on a Netflix docu series playing quarterback, you know, at Warren Easton. You know, this is a kid that's played quarterback for the majority of his life, you know, and, and you know, he's talked a lot about that in the past, about, um, 
you know, having to basically have something taken away from you and you have to try something else and you hope you succeed at it. I mean, I think he's, I think he's as driven as any player on this team to succeed. Uh, you know, uh, Tyrone Lewis, uh, junior, uh, safety, you know, said that, uh, yesterday or the day before about Lance that, you know, there's no one on the team that he actually trusts more than Lejeune. You know, uh, he's a guy that's as hungry as anyone on the roster. I think I think these 15 practices for Lance are as critical uh, for just about anyone else on the team too. From a developmental standpoint, this is this is a, a this is a perfect opportunity for Lazern to figure out exactly what it is that he can you know hone, get better at you know not only to help the team but but also in the future. I I, I could see him playing in the NFL. You know, you know he. he He's the prototypical size for for a wide receiver. He's obviously shifty enough because you have to be shifty to play a you know a dual threat quarterback. Uh, he he's got the tools. You know now it's about you know starting that process here in the spring of making sure that you know he can position himself not only this year but moving forward to potentially be a wide receiver in the NFL. Um, and look, I mean, I we watched a lot of the wide receiver individual drills on day one. You know, Peter LeBlanc's back. Uh, you know, Jake Bernard is back. Uh, uh, Jake was was kind of running at the, you know, beginning of of, of of his wide receiver line. You know, I would I would I would anticipate at this point, you know, Jake being a guy that's going to get a lot of playing time this year. Um, you know, he played a lot last year and, and made some really big catches. So um, I think those are kind of your first two guys. Tavion Smith is going to be a guy. I think by the end of this, uh, is really going to be. Um, you know, a factor at the wide receiver spot, um, you know, the Juco transfer from Jones College. So I, I would anticipate him getting a lot of play in time as well. Corey, appreciate your time as always, brother. Next time we have you on, we'll get another update about that, and maybe we can talk a little LSU women's hoops. We're out of time now, brother, but thank you for your time and enjoy your weekend, my friend. Absolutely, brother. Appreciate you. Y'all take care. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 is known across Acadiana as a master of the English language. You look at all the guys that they got. Clinton Anukoraru. Oof. And I don't know how to pronounce this young man's name. TJ Falola. More like a master of broken English, that is. They also added an inside linebacker, Casey Wasawi. These names are killing me, man. I even practiced <laughs> last night. Me fail English? That's impossible. Now back to that silky smooth delivery of RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Poll question of the day. Do you think McNeese should hire former LSU basketball coach Will Wade? 58% of you say yes. 34% say no. 8% say maybe. Let's get to some comments. B Rad says, even though the stuff he's accused of is probably legal now, I say, hell no. He wouldn't stay anyway. Salty Steve. I think LSU should hire him back. He was just one year ahead of the play-for-pay NIL deals. NCAA is ridiculous. They catch who they want and look the other way when necessary. Uh, yes, the, the NCAA is oof, woof-tastic. 
Little Neff says, why not Byron Starks? That's a good question. A excellent coach, high school, and he's done an excellent job at LSUE. I think he would do a fine job in the Southland Conference. Doug says, why not? The man has never been charged with anything. It's a fair point. He hasn't been charged yet. Show clause could be an issue. But thank you to all who voted on the poll question of the day. Left your comments. We appreciate you. And appreciate you making us part of your morning routine. I want to take a moment to thank our guest. We had some good ones today. Glenn West. Talked all things LSU. Les East. Talked Saints and Pelicans. Thomas Wartell. My man's trying to help me with my golf game. And Corey Diaz. Talked Raging Cajun Spring Football. How about RP3 and company giving you all the directional guests? We started out in the West with Glenn, and then we went over to the East with Les. Back-to-back. Are you serious? Come on. (laughs) Shout out to our guy, Dawson. My man. My man. Oh, that's going to do it for us today. Uh, We'll be back on tomorrow. Live 6 to 9. We got a good show lined up for you. Jacques Doucet going to be stopping by. Bill Bender from the Sporting News. Maybe James Yasko if he's not preparing for high school soccer or girls playoffs. My man made it to the playoffs, by the way. They won the other day and they clinched the spot. So I'm excited for James. Speaking of teams you don't want to run to, run into in March, huh? That group. <laughs> yes, that, that group. <laughs> but until then, be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Kevin Foot and Footnotes is up next right here on the game.